Hi there. Welcome to episode number nine of Nurses Living the Good Life. My name is Ann Conkley. I'm a certified nurse midwife and a certified life and business coach for advanced practice nurses. And I am so glad that you're here. I want to start by saying that there's a trigger warning that I have for this episode. And we're going to talk about mental health and we're going to talk about PTSD and suicide rates. And if this isn't a conversation that right now is going to be supportive to you on your journey, I invite you to make a decision to pause this and listen to this one a little bit later. If you are ready to have this conversation, then let's listen in. But please, before you go any further, maybe pause it and ask yourself, is this the right time for me to have a conversation and to think about my mental health and the larger implications of mental health for healthcare professionals right now? If it isn't, give yourself permission, okay? You don't need it from me, most certainly. So I want to start this by just saying that your mental health matters. It matters to me. It matters to me as a nurse, as an advanced practice nurse. It matters to me as a midwife. It matters to me as a mother. It matters to me as a patient. It matters to me as a mother of a patient, a daughter of a patient. And it matters to me as a person in our community. And I'm here in Cleveland, Ohio, and we have three very large healthcare systems. We have one of the largest employers in the uh, state located here in Cleveland, and that's the Cleveland Clinic. And I think they employ something like, my goodness, it's either 50 or 70,000 employees. So healthcare is a big deal in this town. And the reality is that we can't have a healthcare system that does work like the Cleveland Clinic or University Hospitals or Metro Health without the people to actually do the day-to-day and run it. You guys know this very well. Some of you who are dealing with short staffing and those of you who are dealing with colleagues who have said, the hell with this, I'm out. Um, Colleagues who have become sick, maybe colleagues who have long COVID, maybe colleagues who have died. And I want to just say that your mental health really matters to me. And I hope that it matters to you. I'm going to talk about why I think we need to have a more robust conversation about mental health in our profession. And this really isn't a conversation that is exclusive to nurses, as you know, or advanced practice nurses or women, right? This is a conversation that is, goes beyond healthcare. But for the time being, I want to talk about it in healthcare because, again, This is where it matters to me most for you. So let's just talk about statistics real quick, because I think that we have to have some data and I'm I'm a data person and love to have kind of a reference point for what, you know, the problem is um, so that I can make an opinion, form an opinion on it. And I, I looked these up. um, Now these are from stats are from 2018. So they don't include COVID data and I'm, Fairly certain that these have probably changed and not in a good way, but um, this is the statistic says one doctor commits suicide in the U.S. every day, which is the highest suicide rate of any profession. And the number of physician suicides, 28 to 40 per 100,000, is more than twice that of the general population. 
just of note, the rate in general population is 12 per 100,000. Now, if we were to look more specifically at nurses, we know that in the in healthcare, women nurses are found to be roughly 70% more likely to die by suicide than women doctors. And then we know that in particular for nurses, the suicide incidence or the suicide rate is roughly 17 per 100,000 compared to, again, roughly 12 in the, per 100,000 in the general population and roughly eight out of 100,000 amongst women in particular in the general population. So being a nurse essentially doubles your risk, right, of um, suicide, of the rate of suicide. And so I know that on the brinks of this pandemic that that's changed. And again, not for the better, most likely. I know that we have advanced practice nurses who are strained. We have a system in healthcare that is strained. We know that we knew that going into this damn pandemic, we knew that we had an imperfect, wildly imperfect system for healthcare. And if anything, COVID only exposed many of the cracks that we very often see. So I know that with, within the coming year or two, we'll probably see some additional data and I don't think it's going to be better. I think it will probably be worse. We also know too, that when we talk about mental health and suicide, you know, we're also talking about this on the heels of the pandemic, right? And so some of you have gone through again, loss of family members and loss of uh, patients and loss of colleagues who you work with because of COVID. And so loss is is heavy, right? And and it's when it's this prevalent, it can just feel maybe even a little bit normal, right? Like the grief is no, like the that whole process is like, ugh, there it is. Yep. That's what it is. Sometimes we can even become kind of immune to the conversation about it. Like, oh yeah, mental health right? I'm just going to go down to employee assistance and, you know, tell everybody, I feel like, you know, I want to murder somebody because I'm so upset and angry or that, you know, I've had thoughts about, you know, maybe being the person who goes and stands out in front of a bus. Yeah. Like, no, not going to tell anybody that, right. We all know what it means to be pink slipped. Everybody knows, right. That number one, we are, right. We have very few beds around for those in mental health crisis, number one. Number two, we all know we've probably either seen it or been the ones who have initiated a pink slip where to have one's power taken away, you know, now granted in the midst of a mental health crisis and a, and a, someone with suicidal or homicidal ideation, right? Like I, I get it. I'm not, I'm not debating whether or not it's a, a safety measure that um, shouldn't be in place. But what I am saying is that we all know that process very well. And the reality is that we are, um, you know, sometimes when, you know, you're kind of like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Right. So you may be a person who looks at the system and says, nope, not going through that, not going to employee assistance, right? Because God forbid, they actually do know that I'm thinking about, you know, I'm having trouble. Maybe I'm not coping very well. Maybe my anxiety is getting the best of me. And like, what if I lose my job, right? What if they tell me that I won't be able to work because all of a sudden, like, what if I get pink slipped? 
right? Like there, there are moments where you probably are, if you are in the midst of crisis and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to lose my job. Like, right. I could get fired for this. My career that I've worked a thousand years, what feels like in a, in a bajillion hours for is all on the line. My license is on the line, right? Like if you are the person who's going through you know, the moment, not only do you understand the complexities of the system, but you also know that there's a reason that we don't talk about it because we know that the shame that is associated very often with, um, with these kind of thoughts, you know, I could get fired for this. I'm, I'm the only one who's going through this. They're not going to get it. I won't be able to work. What if I lose my job? You know, what if I can't support my family, right? That there is a, there's such a stigma and a shame that comes with very often mental health crisis. And so what's so interesting is that I think in particular for the nurse, this Michael O'Dell in, in California, I think it's, it's terribly sad because not only because we've seen that a nurse has lost his life, but also because we understand that even if you're medicated as Michael O'Dell was, even if you're living with a roommate who has reached out to you and told you to come and live with him because to set up an accountability system for you to support you, right. Even with that in place um, that, you know, sometimes it's not enough. And I want to have this conversation and I don't, I don't want it to be a Debbie Downer conversation. I don't want you to walk away from here and be like, oh my God. And I think if we don't talk about it, we don't give it the light that it deserves. We don't start talking about solutions. We just don't even talk about it at all. And that's the problem. Right. If the shame is so intense and we don't want to be the ones who bring it up or we don't want to be the ones who could get fired for it, like, yeah, fuck that. No, of course we're not going to talk about it. Of course I'm not going to go to employee assistance. I'm not going to go and tell my boss like that I'm literally losing my shit. Literally losing it. Like, don't know if I can continue. No, like I can't do that. <laughs> right. That's that's the thinking. Like I just I can't do that. I can't put that in, in jeopardy. So what do I do? I just bury it down and I tell myself just to fucking get over it. And I go home and maybe I have a couple gummies or maybe I have a couple glasses of wine. Maybe I have a couple bottles of wine. Maybe I eat a lot of food. Maybe I, you know, make myself try to not avoid the feelings and I just cope with food. Maybe I just, maybe I cope with Netflix. There's all sorts of ways to cope, some of which are healthy and some of which aren't some of which are productive and some of which aren't, right? Right. I could be even a person who like exercises, right? To the point of just avoiding some of my feelings, right? And, and people would be like, oh, but you're exercising. Yeah, but no, but I'm doing it at the expense of not feeling how I feel. And that's actually not serving me, right? Because to have a human experience is to be someone who experiences all of the joys of being a human and all of the shit that comes with being a human, all of the uncertainty and the shame and the disappointment and the humiliation and the angst and the anger and the rage that come with being human, just as much as the joy and the optimism and the hopefulness and the excitement and the love, right? So, so 
let's just talk about that a little bit because I want to talk about this in a conversation of if you desire to be a nurse who lives a good life, but you're so bogged down in some of this thinking and you're in the place where you're like, I don't know what to do about it, but like I can't handle and I can't manage my anxiety. I can't manage some of the things that are going on for me, like the ruminating and the, like, I feel so exhausted by all the, like my brain is on fucking overdrive. Like, let's talk about what we can actually do because there are things that you can do. And I want you to know that this is a safe space for you. Whereas it, it might not be safe for you, or at least you think to go to your employee assistance program or to your boss or to your family. But I'm going to tell you something. There are a couple of ways that we can, that we can manage this. So let's just talk about this. And I want to break this up into two sections. And there's kind of, as you know, right, we're algorithm based in our profession, which I love. And so this will be familiar to you, but if we had an algorithm tree, we would say that if you're in crisis, right, there's a certain line of um, opportunities for you. I think it's interesting. There's a crisis text line, actually. It's a 24-7 crisis support text line for specifically frontline healthcare workers. Um, And this is from trained crisis responders. Like this is people sitting on the other end of the line who are literally waiting for you if you need their support and you are in crisis. All you have to do is text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741. That is available to you. We also know that the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available, 1-800-273-TALK. Um, and we know that 911 exists, right? We, You and I all know that the framework behind 911, right, is kind of shoddy, right, in terms of not having enough psychiatric beds on the back end of a hospital system or in a community. We know that the bed placement in order for you to go from the ED where you may be stabilized, you know, someone who's on suicide watch. But, you know, we know that the, like the whole process, whether you're going through the ED and then getting, you know, placed into some sort of an inpatient um, or intense outpatient, um, you know, therapy like the, the beds that we have are not sufficient for the number of people that we have facing mental health crisis. Like I get it. I know. However, 911 is great in an emergency, as you know, right? It's the only reason it was ever designed to keep people alive. So that's a great time to call 911 if you are in the midst of crisis. So you've got the crisis text line. Again, that's text HOME, H-O-M-E, to this number, 741-741. You can also call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK, or you could call 911. All of those are available to you in crisis. If you are not in crisis, but you know that this is becoming an issue for you, then I want to give you a couple of approaches that I think can be supportive to you, okay? And I'm going to start with kind of from the ground up, because I think this is where most of us, if we have a lot of shame that we harbor around mental health, or if we have um, some feelings of embarrassment or maybe disappointment in ourselves, whatever it is, the easiest interventions are going to be those that are probably closest to us already, rather than taking big steps like, you know, uh, working with a therapist. So let's start from the bottom. First and foremost, you know, reach out to a friend, right? Reach out to someone who, you know, who, you know, knows you and just ask them for maybe a few minutes to just voice your concerns. And I got to admit friends are kind of, you know, 50, 50, you know what I mean? Like I've got some friends who I could call and be like, Hey, 
this is going on. And they would be like, shut the fuck up. You are just so fucking too like in love with yourself. Like just shut up and get back, like snap out of it. Ian. <laughs> you know, I have some people like that in my life and they're useful in a certain moment, right? They're, they're useful people. Cause they're like, you know, they call me on my bullshit, which is great. And then I have some friends who I could call. And if I need somebody to listen, I have a couple of friends who would listen to me if I needed it, right? They would be the ones who would lend an ear. They would listen from a relatively neutral place. They would just allow me to, you know, they would create a safe space that I could kind of vent or I could just share what I was going through, right? And so think of the friends that you have and who's in your life. Maybe it's not a friend, maybe it's a family member, you know, maybe it's a coworker, but who could you call, you know, who could you call out to in a pinch? Um, who may be able to, um, who knows you and who has some background with you and maybe who could help you in that moment of need. We also know too that, you know, one of the things that we are kind of good at is forming communities, right? Think about, you know, back to when you either currently, if you work, if you're doing shift work or, um, you know, you're in a team setting, right? Like we may be good at making friends, you know, within our teams, we may not be as good and as active about building communities of support around us, right? I see this a lot when I have conversations about networking and about um, trying to find a job and becoming, you know, getting that first or next position as an advanced practice nurse. And I have a lot of conversations with clients about building community and, and becoming the person who reaches out, who goes to networking events, who signs up for the um, associations, you know, of, um, that are in your area or who signs up and maintains membership with your professional organization. Right. And sometimes some of us are good at doing that. And some of us are terrible doing it. And look, like the reality is, and we talk about, it's the same thing with jobs. We talk about how sometimes when you go to try to get your next position, it's not about what, you know, sometimes it's about who, you know, and we know that two out of three jobs come from who, you know, and not what, you know. So, you know, it's good to rub elbows. It's good to make sure that you have community around you. And you have to be the one who is responsible for creating and building that community, right? It doesn't just happen on its own. So building community is a little bit harder. It takes more intention. It takes more uh, thoughtfulness. It takes more time very often to build community and it's worth it, right? So if you are someone who is like, wait, I only have my friends or my colleagues or no, I don't really, you know, do any kind of activity with my professional organization, then I would say, why not? And what are you waiting for? Get out there. And if it's not for your mental health and to have a community of support of people like you with like-minded, you know, um, with like who are like-minded, then why not? Like, what are you waiting for? Okay. Community is not going to build itself. You've got to be there to do it and to do your part. I think your next step after that is to consider your boss. And I know this is kind of like a little risky because we just talked about all of the shame and potentially all of the fallout that can occur when you go through, you know, your place of employment. And I want to reach out and also just remind you that sometimes despite what could happen, the negative things that you think in your mind, it's still worth it. Right. And look, there can be conversations that don't have to necessarily be on the record, so to speak. Right. And I'm certainly not talking about suicide. If you come to me as a friend, as a colleague, as a coach, as an employee, if I hear, you know, as my, my duty, right, our, our duties as licensed professionals, 
um, around suicidal and homicidal ideation are to report them. And I take that duty very seriously. And so does, I think, pretty much every other nurse that's out there, any other healthcare provider that's out there. So certainly um, with, again, in crisis mode, right, coming to your boss may not be the best uh, standpoint. But, but if you're not in crisis mode, but you're getting to a point where it just feels really heavy, then it is a great step to talk to your boss. It is a great, great step to see what resources you have within your organization, whether or not your employee assistance program actually has something that could be supportive to you. I mean, most of the time I feel like those things are bullshit. I mean, I got to admit, like I'm not a huge proponent of using the EAP program, but you know what? Sometimes they actually have something that's useful. Maybe they have a coaching program for you where instead of having to pay for coaching out of your own pocket, you might be able to actually go work with a coach. Maybe there's an opportunity for you to get in touch with a counselor. Maybe there's an opportunity for them to give you a list of therapists and for them to facilitate you getting into therapists, right? Like that's their job. They're there to assist employees, right? So that their employees can be fully functioning and can make sure that their employees show up to work to further the mission of the organization, right? Like that's why an employee assistance program was designed not designed with, you know, the, um, the mindset that there's, it's a punishment or that it's a, you know, not used. No, everybody, if you have an EAP program, go check it out and see what things they have, see what's available to you. Otherwise you might be missing out, maybe missing out on investment strategies and courses. You might be missing out on free coaching. You might be missing out on all the things. And I don't want you to miss out on that, right? Nurses living the good life. Don't miss out on things. They go and explore all their options. Now you may very well go to your EAP program and be like, it's total shit. What, what a fucking waste. Okay. Like, look, at least we know, right? Knowing is better than not knowing in my opinion. <laughs> so it's a start. All right. I'm not saying they're all perfect. Now I'm going to get some flack of this, right? Like, yeah, my EAP is program's bullshit. All right. I get you. I got it. And explore for yourself so that you know. What is available to you and what's not, what you you know might have access to. Um, and then I think once we get a little bit more nuanced, when you really are at a point where you want to take some action and you notice that the behaviors aren't serving you, maybe you're getting into some similar patterns, maybe you're feeling really stuck, maybe you're feeling really traumatized, you know, it's really a great time to start to consider whether or not a therapist could be supportive to you and helping you to work through some of the things that are going on. And I know that we have a huge still stigma about therapy. And I just want to tell you, therapists are beautiful humans. And God bless these people who are trained to help to, to sit with you while you talk about your shit. It's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I mean, therapy has its place. It's not for everybody and it's not for everything. It's also why coaching exists, right? I always talk about, um, or very often talk about the difference between therapy and coaching. Therapists tend to really help us explore very often issues from the past and help us to make sense of them maybe, or to process the trauma of the past. Um, very often, right? Coaching is used as a, a vehicle for the future and for helping to set goals and to plan and to get ahead, right? To make those 2% improvements so that we can reach our goals and to, you know, evolve into the best versions of humans that we can be, right? 
coaching can help us make decisions more quickly. Coaching can help us to um, become better versions of ourselves, right? To become better parents, to become better employees, to become better humans, right? That's coaching is is so useful for all that. And they come with a cost. I mean, therapy's got a cost to it. Coaching's got a cost to it. And it's worth it. Okay. Right. Right. We say the same thing about, um, well, I don't know about you, but I say the same thing about good footwear, right? Like I'm not wearing a, a pair of Keds into work. I'm paying for dance goes. You know why? Are they more expensive? Yeah. Are they worth it? A hundred percent. Cause my back doesn't hurt at the end of the day when I wear my damn dance goes. Okay. I go 12 hours with those damn things on and they are, you know, feel like you're walking in clouds. Um, so and therapy and coaching is no different and it's available to you very often. Um, there are so many, you know, new apps that help to provide therapy on the basis of, um, in a telehealth format that are available, better health is one. Um, and coaching is available to you through a multitude of resources. And if you ever need a coach and for whatever reason, it doesn't feel like I'm the right person for you, please don't hesitate to reach out because I would be happy to connect you with someone in my um, large network of coaches who I think could maybe be supportive to you. But coaching and therapy are available to you and they are really good interventions that can be so supportive at helping us to learn how to process, learn how to feel, to learn how to name some of the emotions, right? To see why we feel so exhausted, why we feel so overwhelmed, why we ruminate on things. We think about them again and again and again. I should have, you know, if only I'd done that shoulder distortion differently, if only I had, um, you know, put that IV in differently, if only, if only, if only, right? That rumination is often such a trap and it can create such intense symptoms of overwhelm and more anxiety and ultimately exhaustion, keeping us very, very stuck. So, so when you become the person who's aware of like, oh yeah, I'm actually not feeling some of these emotions. I'm actually really avoiding how I feel. I'm actually really reacting a lot, right? Like come home from work and I yell at my kids when they ask me like, Hey mom, did you get the milk? And you're like, no, right. I mean, look, I get it. It's normal, right? I sometimes snap at my kids. I'm the first to admit it. (laughs) They would admit it too. And I also know that when I snap, my job is to get curious and say, what's going on? Am I snapping once in a blue moon or am I snapping five times a week? Because if I'm snapping five times a week, something's wrong. I need to talk to somebody about it and figure out what's going on, right? Why? Because my kids don't deserve that. I can be better. I can be a person who learns to see why she's so angry. I can become a person who is willing to not cope with wine and gummies and eating and Netflix, right? I can become a person who's more aware, who can name rage, who can name exhaustion and overwhelm who knows when she's ruminating, who knows when she's really, really in a tough space, who knows when she's humiliated and knows what the difference is between embarrassment and humiliation, who knows when she feels guilt versus when she feels shame and how she acts when she feels guilty versus when she feels ashamed, 
right? And the results that it creates, right? As an adult human, that's my responsibility. And so coaching and therapy offer us opportunities to get better at managing emotions so that we can become humans who navigate the life of the 50-50 of this whole human experience a lot more easily. Not necessarily better, but just more easily. So you guys know, me included, I'm not immune to depression, anxiety, PTSD, none of it. I'm not immune to any of it and neither are you. We know that mental health matters. We know that we have a suicide rate issue in terms of our profession, not only in the nursing profession. We know that we have an issue with suicide among physicians. We know that we have some behaviors that don't serve us, like being passive aggressive in our communication or not asking for what we need or what we want, right? Not being clear on what we need to get the job done, not you know being avoidant, right? Not going into, not wanting to, to start up any conflict. And so we just avoid conversations altogether. And then we like, you know, shove it down with some Doritos, right? And a glass of wine and another bag of chips. So we know that this is a problem. We know that there's a lot of shame that very often comes with some of, you know, the perfectionism that tends to come, right? Like I should just be the nurse who's able to handle this. I should just be the, you know, the mom who's got her shit together, right? Not only on Instagram, but also in real life right? Who doesn't have the moments where she's literally feels like she's, she's in the midst of a breakdown. I just shouldn't feel like that. Like I should have it better. Right. And then we go into compare and despair. Well, like, at least I don't have cancer. At least I don't have long COVID. Oh God. You know, that is never good. The minute you get into compare and despair, girl, you're going down a slippery slope, like not good, not good. Just causes more rumination and more overwhelm and more exhaustion. And more stuckness, which is exactly the, you know, the, the antithesis of being a nurse who lives a good life, right? So we know that there are, there are a lot of complicating factors around why we do what we do. We know we can't also have this conversation without talking about the systems in place that contribute to some of our experiences, the toxic workplace culture, the issues around you know, not having the supplies maybe you need to do your job, the um, hierarchy in medicine, which is built on the backs of the patriarchy. Like we understand, right? We not only know that there's the systems that exist, we know that we have levels of internalized patriarchy within us. Like we can't, we we know, right? Like we, these are systems that exist and we are individuals who operate within these systems. We talked about this quite a bit on the Redonda uh, uh, podcast episode. Um, so we are people who exist within these, within these systems. And I also want you to know that there are options, right? Because it doesn't have to end there. You don't have to just be the person who shows up and ends up in the system. And then all of a sudden we're reading about you the next day, you know, in the U.S. News and World Report. Like, no, I don't want that. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for any nurse. I don't want it for any advanced practice nurse. I don't want it for PAs, for physicians. I don't want it for any of us. Okay. We have options. We know we have options in crisis, crisis text line, text home, H-O-M-E to 741-741. We have the 911 is always an option, right? And then if you are not in crisis, it's time to start thinking like, wait a minute, if this is a problem for me, what am I going to do with it? Who am I going to talk to? Who can I reach out to? Do I have a community of support? Do I need to build a community of support? How am I going to do that? 
am I willing to work with somebody on this? Do I need a therapist? Do I need a coach? Which one is it? And what am I trying to avoid? What am I trying to not feel? What am I reacting to? What am I resisting? Oh, I do a lot of resisting. Oh, I've had to work on that one quite a bit, right? Right. I'm a human too. So your mental health matters. You matter. You're worth it. And I want you to know that you have options. And if you are a nurse who wants to start living the good life and you want to do it from a standpoint of feeling very empowered and really become an emotion scientist, the person who can name emotions, the person who can make decisions more quickly, the person who declines to let some of those limiting beliefs and those stories hold you back. If you want to become the person who doesn't use Netflix, booze, gummies, exercising as a way to cope with the feelings that you don't want to feel, come on. I'm waiting for you. Women Who Cultivate was built for you. Okay. And how do I know that? Well, because in my own journey of becoming a person who had to feel all the feelings and who had to become a person who was very aware of how resistant she was and how avoidant she was and how uh, unwilling she was to say what she needed to say, I've had to do a lot of work. And so I built a program that's going to help you do that same work so that you can start feeling empowered and stop feeling so goddamn exhausted. Okay. Again, you matter a lot. Don't forget it. We will see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Take care.